Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I cannot tell you how many Christians I know who are toying with the idea of going back to the world because somehow they've gotten into their mind, God hasn't done for them what they really hoped that he would do, and they're thinking, you know, I'm going to go back to the comfort and the security, all of the things that I had before, but listen, God's shaken up the whole planet, and there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 through 29 in a message titled, Hearing Him Who Speaks from Heaven. Now, here's Pastor Brian. God, the judge of all. Why does he put the judge of all here in the passage? Because it doesn't seem like the emphasis in the passage is on any kind of judgment. He's, he's making a contrast The old covenant pronounced judgment. He's talking about the new covenant, but here he says, God, the judge of all. But he's not talking about God, the judge, in the sense of God's final judgment or or God, the judge, in in, condemning sin and, and wickedness. He's talking about God, the judge, in the sense that God's word is the final word. God's approval is the only approval that matters. You know, a, a lot of times we're worried about what people think about us. We're worried about what others think. But you know, there's only one opinion in the end that really matters, and that's God's opinion. He's the judge of all. The idea is that God is there who has the final say-so, whose word is the ultimate word in the universe. God, the judge of all. And then this interesting reference to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, who could these people be? It's clearly separate from those the church, the firstborn uh, in heaven, it's a different group. And I think that what he's referring to here are the Old Testament saints. You see, the Old Testament saints, they were just men, they were righteous men, they were men that sought God, but they were men that were not perfected because Christ had not come and died and risen again. But, of course, now, as the author's writing, he has done that. So those just men... Their spirits have now been made perfect. They died in an imperfected state, but because of the finished work of Christ now, their spirits have been made perfect. And so I think those are the ones that are being referred to there. And then we come to Jesus is there. And remember, he's reminding them of this. They might be asking the question, well, where is Jesus? We've been trusting Jesus. We put our hope in Jesus, and we thought Jesus was coming back, and and now you know, things are rough and we're being persecuted and things have become way more difficult since we started following this Jesus. So so where is Jesus? The author says Jesus is there. He's there in this city, this heavenly city, but he's there as the mediator of the new covenant. He's there as he's already alluded to and as he's already specifically stated, he's there making intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. He's there as our great high priest mediating the new covenant. You know, in the end, 
heaven is heaven because God and Jesus are there. You know, sometimes we almost think of heaven and we detach it from the Lord himself. And you know, you think of people, well, you know, I want to go to heaven, which really means I don't want to go to hell. So I want to go to heaven. But know this, heaven is where Jesus is. He is what makes heaven what it is. And it's him that we will be with. It's him that we will see. You know, my wife and I were having an interesting conversation yesterday, and she was telling me in her devotions, she was telling me how she occasionally, she gets just these little sort of glimpses of almost like just a very brief glimpse of Jesus in in kind of just in his glory and kind of just a little fleeting glimpse of heaven. She said it's like a, it's like a, a vista that just opens up ever so briefly and then as quickly as it opened, it kind of closed. But she was, she was saying to me, she said, you know, my great longing these days is to be there. I, I, I want to be there. I want to see Jesus. I want to be in that place. And, and then she said, you know, I think back through my life, you know, as as a child, and she said, all of the things that I wanted to do. And she said, you know, I know this one is trite, but I really wanted to get my driver's license. Okay, yeah, I get that, you know. You want to get your license. And then she said, and you know, I wanted to get married. And I got married. And then I wanted to have children, and I had children. And, and I wanted to be, uh, you know, a mother. And, and then I wanted to be a grandmother. And, and, you know, all of those things have happened. And she says, and you know, it seems like everything I wanted, it's, it's happened. Now I just want to see Jesus. I, I want to enter into that fullness. And, you know, she's telling me this and she's there sick. And I'm thinking like, is this, are you telling me you're dying or what's going on? You know, but uh, <laughs> she wasn't. But she was, you know, she was sincere. She's just really sharing her heart. You know, she wants to see the Lord. And that's what it's about. Jesus is there. And we're going to see him but that's what everything is about. It's all about Jesus. Heaven is heaven because of Jesus, because God and Jesus are there. And then there's one other thing he refers to, the blood of sprinkling. The blood of sprinkling. And he makes a contrast between the, the blood of Jesus, that's what he's referring to here, and he said it speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Now, if you remember the story, Abel was slain by his brother, Cain, because Cain was envious of Abel's relationship with God. And so he hated his brother Abel and he slew him. And then you remember he tries to hide that and God comes to Cain and he says, where's your brother? And Cain says, why are you asking me? I'm not my brother's keeper. And God says, the blood of your brother cries out to me from the earth. And of course, that cry was a cry for vindication and for judgment to come upon uh, Cain. And it did. He's saying that the blood of Jesus, who was also, think about it, who was also murdered by those who envied him and hated him, that blood of Jesus is crying out, but it's not crying out for revenge. It's not crying out that God would pour out his wrath it's actually crying out mercy and forgiveness and grace. It speaks better things than the blood of Abel. And so you see, again, 
if we put it back in its context, he's appealing to them. He's saying, look, how could you for a minute even think about going back to the old covenant? When you have come to Mount Zion, when you're already a citizen of this kingdom, how could you want to trade what you presently have and what you're going to ultimately have to go back to something that's not even anything that you actually thought it was? And so he now comes to the final warning. It's the final warning of the epistle. And as you remember, as we've gone through this, there have been several places where he's warned them. It's the same warning all the way through. It's don't draw back. Don't turn back. Don't go back. There's nothing to go back to. And so once again, he says in verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now here comes the exhortation after the warning. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So he comes back around. Notice he says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Do you remember how this letter started? The very first verse of the very first chapter of this letter says, God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by or in his son. And so he's taking us right back to there. Don't turn away from him who speaks. He's once again right there appealing to them to listen. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, maybe you remember where Jesus took Peter and James and John and they went up on that Mount and there Jesus was transfigured and his, his face was altered and you know his, his clothing was, was bright and, and there came a voice out of the cloud that said, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And so it's, it's a repeat of the same message over and over again. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. He's saying to them, Jesus is the final message of God. He is the one that we are to listen to. There's no turning back to Moses. The message of Moses was one of condemnation. The message of Moses was temporary. The message of Jesus is one of life and mercy and forgiveness, and it is the final and the ultimate message. And so he warns them. If there was a judgment that came for those who rejected Moses, we read about this in the 10th chapter, a similar thing, then how much greater is there gonna be a judgment for those who turn away from him who speaks from heaven? But now he talks about the shaking. And he's quoting here from the prophet Haggai. And there's a little, little prophecy of Haggai at the very end of the Old Testament, 
You have Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Those are the last three books of the Old Testament. And all of them are very similar, and they're in a very similar time frame. But there, Haggai, God speaks to Haggai about a time when he is going to shake all of the nations. So the author says, at one time, God shook the earth. He's talking about Mount Sinai and the things that happened that he already described. But he said, there's a future day coming when he's gonna shake everything. He's gonna shake not just one you know, small location. He's going to shake the entire earth and really the universe itself. There's gonna be a universal judgment so that all that can be shaken will be shaken. God has declared that he will judge the world and he's going to do it. And some people scoff at that. Some people think that's a joke. Some people just absolutely refuse to believe that that could ever happen. And you know, you can go on in that delusion all you want, but the reality is it is coming. And again, if you think about these people that he's writing to initially, and here's the thing that we have to also think about. They thought mistakenly, but they didn't know they were mistaken. They thought that they could get rid of their trouble by going back to what they had known before, the security and the comfort of Judaism. That's what they were thinking to do. Because after all, this whole Jesus movement thing, this was new. You know, this is only you know, maybe a a decade old at this point or something like that. But with Moses and all those traditions, they go back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And we've got this temple that was originally built by Solomon and then it was renewed by Herod. And surely, you know, this is a permanent structure. There's security there. And we've got our connection to our ancient people, God's people, and surely there's security there and there's comfort there. And, you know, in their mind, they, they wanted to, to go back to all of that. But you know what they didn't know? They didn't know that in a very short period of time, that would all be obliterated completely. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. The Jewish nation was dispersed throughout the entire world. The temple has never been rebuilt since then. And the Jews partially only came back into the land in 1948 after almost 2,000 years of dispersion. They had no idea that that's what was coming, but that was what was coming. And right as we move on to the 13th chapter, and as we finish up the book, he's going to give them a quick reminder about Jerusalem. He's going to say, here we have no continuing city. The author had prophetic insight into the fact that Jerusalem was not going to be around much longer. So here we are today, and we find ourselves sometimes, and, and, and I cannot tell you how many Christians I know who are toying with the idea of going back to the world because somehow they've gotten into their mind, you know, God hasn't done for them what they really hoped that he would do. He hasn't fulfilled their promises and dreams and things aren't going the way they thought. And they never really signed up for this, you know, difficulty or these challenges or this persecution or, you know, whatever it is. And they're thinking, you know, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the comfort and the security, all of the things that I had before. But listen, 
God's shaken up the whole planet, and there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to go. He's going to shake the whole world. And the Bible says that over and over and over. And like I said, you can deny it. You can say it's not going to happen. But, you know, the reality is it's already happening. It's already happening. God is shaking up this planet. And international terrorism is one manifestation of it. It's only one manifestation of it. There are so many other things, and they're all converging at the same time that just show us that, man, this world that we have known, the things that we have had confidence in, the institutions that we've leaned on, the security of, uh, of a strong economy, all of those kinds of things that have just been so much a part of our experience, especially here in the West and especially in the United States, all of that stuff is rapidly changing right before our eyes because, as God said, he's going to shake the whole world. And in that context there of Haggai chapter 2, where the quote comes from, he says, I'm going to shake the world and they shall come to the desire of all, the na- of all nations. And you know, the, the little reference of the desire of all nations is a reference to the Messiah. That was a messianic term. Because all the nations deep in their heart, they're longing for that Messiah, that you know, universal reign of the Messiah. And uh, the Lord is saying, I'm going to shake the world. And as a result of it, people are going to come to faith in the Messiah. And this is what we see happening. But listen, God's primary interest is in saving human souls. And the way it's going to happen in the end times is that he's going to shake the planet. So there's nothing left for people to trust in but him. Now, obviously, not everybody's going to trust in him. Reading through the book of Revelation just on my own personally, and it's, it's astounding to me how over and over again we read about these judgments of God, and, it, and, it, and then it says about the inhabitants of the earth, and they do not repent or give glory to God. And you think, how could it be? How could the human heart be so hard as to right in the face of obvious judgment of God, just you know, shaking their fist at heaven saying, we're not going to repent. We're not going to bow before you. We're not going to give you the place of glory and honor that you want. So that's what the world's coming down to. It's coming down to two groups of people, those who are going to continue to shake their fist in God's face and, and ultimately face his wrath and judgment, and those who are going to look around at everything being unhinged everything being shaken to the core, and they're going to say, man, I need God. I need something stable. So there's nothing to go back to. Just like they thought, oh, we'll go back to the temple. We'll go back to Jerusalem. Everything will be okay. No, it it would not be there much longer. And so there's nothing in the world to go back to. But here's the wonderful truth. The wonderful truth is there is one unshakable thing, and that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Isn't that great news? We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There's only one thing that's going to last, and that's the kingdom of Christ. That's the only thing. When it's all shaken out, the only thing that's going to be standing is the kingdom of Christ and all of those wonderful prophecies about his kingdom, that everlasting kingdom of righteousness and peace and prosperity and all those things, they're, they're all going to be fulfilled. But we, we've received it. We're already citizens of it. And so 
Since that is the case, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, my translation says, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Probably a better translation is that, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us be grateful is probably a better translation, and let us serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. So what are we to do in light of the fact that that God's shaking the planet? We are to be grateful that we are part of a kingdom that can't be shaken, and we are to give everything that we have in service to that kingdom and to our king. Serving God acceptably with reverence and awe. Acceptably meaning simply serving God in the thing that he's called us to do, whatever that is. That you might find, Paul, Paul said, offer yourself the living sacrifice that you might find out what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That, that which is acceptable to God is, is what, it, what it is that's his will, or what is it that's his will for us. And so that's what he's saying here. Our response, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, is to be grateful and to give ourselves entirely to service to him. And it's time to do that because the only safe place to be on the planet, you wanna know where it is? The only safe place to be is in the center of God's will. It's the only safe place. There's no safe place anymore. You know, it's just the reality. There is no safe place. But you know, the truth is there's never been a safe place. The world's a dangerous place. But the safe place is in the center of God's will. Because as long as you're there, come what may, even if it's a nuclear bomb dropped on top of you, it doesn't matter. Because you just go from, you know, you're in the will of God and you just go into the, the greater realization of it. So let us be grateful and let us serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. When we see God for who he is, He's a consuming fire. Man, that strikes awe in our hearts. And you know, the consuming fire, that all depends on, you know, fire is beneficial and it's detrimental. It all depends on the, uh, the substance that it's coming into contact with. And for those who are in a place of rejecting Christ and his kingdom, the fire is consuming in the sense that it will destroy utterly all of that. But for those who are his people, we are still being subjected to the consuming fire, but the consuming fire of God for us is refining us. It's purifying us. It's only making us more into the people that God intends us to be for eternity. So as we look at all of these things, there's no turning back. There's nothing to go back to. It's time to give ourselves if we haven't done so yet, to give ourselves entirely to him. And as we're in the world that's being shaken, you know what? It's only gonna be shaken more and more as time goes on. So make sure you're in that place that can't be shaken. You're in the center of God's will and you're part of that unshakable kingdom, which of course belongs to everyone who's put their genuine faith and trust in Christ.
And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. One of my favorite newer authors is Rebecca McLaughlin. She wrote the book Confronting Christianity a few years back, which was the book of the year at the time. And she's done a new book called Confronting Jesus. And in it, she is looking at nine encounters that people had with Jesus and answering really important questions that people are asking today. So I can't recommend Rebecca enough. She just does an excellent job. And I know you're going to appreciate this book, Confronting Jesus by Rebecca McLaughlin. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with a Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book Confronting Jesus by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Confronting Jesus by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.